We've been doing a series starting last week called Follow Your Dreams, They Know the Way. And I want to talk to you today about the second part of the journey of converting what for many of us are aspirations that never become reality. Often we've started even the year with great thoughts of grandeur, change, and progress, and by February we're wondering where it all vanished. By February our energy levels are back to what they were in November. Maybe we're just a bit ahead, but we're not ahead by much. And yet God has plans and dreams, and the language of the Holy Spirit is visions and dreams. God wants your life to be filled with dreams and visions that He puts into your heart. God says in Psalm 37, He gives us the desires of our heart. Now, we haven't got time to break that down, but what basically you're saying is this, I implant in your life dreams. I implant in your life visions. The more you get to know me, the more you'll get more of them, and they're dreams to help you be the person that represents Jesus on this earth. If you understand that the dreams of God are not about being self-serving for me, but they're about serving my King, Jesus, and representing Him to people that don't know Him. And when they see the dreams come true, they go, how did that happen? That was impossible. That can't be luck. That can't be happenstance or circumstance. That can't just be a lucky number. How did that happen? How did you buy this building and not pay any mortgage? How is that possible? It's called the visions and dreams of God. And I want to talk to you about how to convert them into reality, how to take them from the fourth dimension into the third dimension. And we'll talk a little bit about that today, but it's really, really important to know just some facts. I was reading these this week, and did you know at age seven, Mozart wrote his first symphony? At 14, country singer Leanne Rimes won her first two Grammy Awards. At 16, an Australian girl called Shane Gould won three, medal, three gold medals at 16 years of age. At 17, Joan of Arc led an army in defense of France. At 20, Debbie Fields founded Mrs. Fields Cookie Company. At 21, Fred DeLuca co-founded Subway with just $1,000. At 43, John F. Kennedy ran for the United States presidency and won. At 45, boxer George Foreman regained the heavyweight championship of the world. There's a guy that was planning for his future. He named all his children the same, George, right? At 46, Jack Nicholas won his sixth Masters tournament. At 54, jockey Willie Shoemaker won the Kentucky Derby. At 57, Ray Kroc founded McDonald's. At 62, Colonel Sanders devoted himself to Kentucky Fried Chicken. At 78, Grandma Moses started painting. At 83, architect Frank Lloyd Wright was asked, which of his masterpieces was the best? My next one, he said. At 86, Ruth Farb ran the Boston Marathon in just over five hours. You lose, lose a lot of speed between 80 and 86, she said. <laughs> On his 104th birthday, Cal Evans was interviewed by a Denver reporter. Have you lived in Denver all your life? Asked the reporter. Cal laughed and replied, not yet, Sonny. So welcome to Follow Your Dreams, They Know The Way Part Way, and we are going to be talking about how these impact our lives. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. I ask you to speak powerfully through your word. 
And I ask you to change us, prepare us for what you have ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Nothing takes away the past, the pains, the hurts, the disappointments of the past than a dream and a vision. A dream and a vision drags you out of yesterday and puts you firmly into the future. I believe in therapy. Jane and I have counseled thousands of people over many, many years, and therapy is great dealing with the past, but I can tell you one way to be drawn out of the past traumas and troubles is to have a compelling dream that drags you without you even trying out of dealing every day with just surviving. Dreams are so critical to our well-being and our health. And so I want to talk to you about that today. The quintessential dreamer was Joseph in the Bible, the most influential besides Daniel in the secular world in Bible history. Changed a nation, changed uh, many, many uh, people because of the dreams. And the potency of his dream helped him overcome rejection, helped him overcome uh, being thrown into a pit, overcome being a slave, overcome being accused unfalsely of things that he had never done, helped him maintain a good attitude because he said, the things you meant for evil, God intended for good, and God sent me ahead of you so I'd be able to prepare a way for you. That's the kind of verbiage that comes from a dreamer. People who live in the present and in the past never say those things because they're still trying to get over the past, and I don't underestimate how hard that is. I understand. Prison couldn't stop him. Betrayal couldn't stop him. Opinions couldn't stop him. Accusations couldn't break him until he fulfilled what God had shown him. This is the power of God-given dreams. And Joseph is so impacted by the trauma of what went on in his life, which was traumatic for 13 years, And yet God comes through and helps him because of the dream that he unwaveringly committed himself to pursue after. That when his son is born, he names him Manasseh. And this is what Manasseh means, Genesis 41, 51. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. What was he declaring? The power of a dream to make you forget the past. That's how God wants us to live, with aspirational thinking, vision thinking. There are so many things trying to drag us from God's dreams, rejection, failure, fear, opinions, betrayal, shame, sexual compromise. All those things are trying to pull you away from living and following your dreams to your destiny. But I must say this, dreams only work if, they, if Jesus and God is at the center of those dreams. You can work hard to fulfill your vision, your idea for your company, your idea for your personal life. You can work hard for it, but nothing brings contentment or supernatural, miraculous change in your life in the future than having a God-centered dream, where God is the center of the dream, where you make Him the center of of what you're doing because God-given dreams are impossible and require faith for them to be converted into reality and living experiences and that's God's dream for you. In the first week we spoke about Jacob. Jacob had dreams, in fact, 
Uh, some, many of the Old Testament carriers had dreams because that's how God spoke. The Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out in dreams and visions at that point, and God spoke to many of the patriarchs through dreams, and Jacob was one of them. He had a dream. God had a dream, and God had a plan for him, and they were impossible dreams. He says to him in one dream at Bethel that he named Bethel, he, you know, he saw this stairway to heaven, and God says, I'm going to bless you like I promised Abraham and Isaac. You're going to be the father of many nations. Many nations are going to come from you. And he starts to declare the blessing of God. The trouble with Jacob was that Jacob, when he was born, was a twin brother to Esau. They were born together, one after the other, and Esau was born first. And when Jacob came out, the reason he was named Jacob is he was holding hold of the heel of his brother. As his brother was being pulled out, Jacob was holding on, and they named him Jacob, which means grabber. And it literally became his mojo in life was to grab stuff, take stuff that wasn't his because he had a drive. He wanted to get things, and whatever means by which he could get them, he would get them. He would deceive his brother. He deceived his father. He stole from his brother in a moment of weakness. He stole from his father in a moment of blindness. Takes the blessing. Then runs for his life as his brother's about to kill him. And he runs off and God begins to give him a dream about his future. Saying you did it the wrong way. And this is what I love about God. Even if you started bad, God's still got a dream for you. Even if you didn't start on the right side of the tracks, God's still got a dream. And even if you rebel occasionally and go your own way, God still wants to pour his dream into your heart. Now there are consequences to running and doing it our way, which we'll find out. But still God wants to speak his encouragement into your life. And so he has a dream. But as a grabber, he's a person that's used to getting whatever he needs in whatever way he can do it. If it means scheming, if it means stealing, if it means deceiving, well, I'm going to do it because I've got a dream and I'm going after it, except God was not the center of his dream. And when God's not the center, everything falls apart in the end. And what we find with Jacob is he started getting deceived himself because you reap what you sow. What happens is after 20 years of chasing the dream, he's got nothing. His wages have been changed 10 times. He's been ripped off. He's been deceived. The deceiver has been deceived. That's why God has to be at the center of our life, forming our character, making us like Jesus, because the things that we chase after are so alluring sometimes, they drag us away from the centrality of Jesus as number one in our lives. There are only two kings in this world, King Jesus and money. Jesus said it himself. You can only serve one. And this is a, an interesting concept God showed me the other day. He said, imagine this. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and I put you in a world that has another king. It's called the king of money. Your job is to subdue the king of money and make it a servant to the king of kings. You ought to take worldly resource and make it servant to the king as opposed to being an end in itself is just gas in the car. And you know what it's like with gas in the car? It's great to put in your car, you get to drive, but don't start sniffing it because it's going to send you crazy. And it's the same with our money. Money's a great servant. It's a terrible master. We're meant to subdue the king of this world and make him serve the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. And so Jacob has been trying to grab and negotiate everything himself. And after 20 years, he's got nothing. So he has an aha moment. This is not working. So at least he was smart enough to work that out, even though it took him 20 years. And he says, I'm going to do this different. 
So he comes and puts God back in the center of his life. And as God puts him, as he puts God back in the center of life, God starts to talk to him. God starts to lead him. And then we read this amazing verse in Genesis chapter 30 that I want to read to you. And I want you to take notice of the third word of the verse. It says this, as a result, result. So as a result of what? That's the question. As a result of something, Jacob's flocks increased rapidly and he became very wealthy with many servants, camels and donkeys. So he goes from debt laden, deceived and miserable because God's not been the center. Something happens to Jacob that changes it all. As his focus turns towards God as the center, the number one, no longer the king of the world driving him, but the king of kings driving him, things begin to change. And Jacob learns in that season about the laws of the fourth dimension, the laws of faith. And I want to talk to you about how he converted the dream into reality. After nothing for 20 years but a dream, shortly, quickly, rapidly, everything changed, and it can change for you. Was it luck for Jacob? No, it wasn't luck. Was it happenstance? No, it wasn't that either. Everything was stacked against him, and still he comes out on top. So last week we did point one. There are like six points to this. We're going to do three today and do another three next week or two next week. Last week I talked about how Jacob knew exactly what he wanted. He was very clear. He went to his uncle Laban and said, listen, you've changed my wages 10 times. This time I want something. When am I going to provide for my family? <clears throat> he says, look, I don't want to take all the best stuff. I want you to take the spotted and speckled sheep that are in your flocks. They're all farmers, of course. And so he says, I want to, I want to take your spotted and speckled sheep and I want you to give them to me as my wages what he was thinking about was, I would take them and multiply them. This is a clear way to create distinction between the spotted and speckled and the white. So what did Laban go, do? He goes, yes, I agree, but then gets his sons to remove all the spotted and speckled sheep and take them three days away. So now Jacob has no access to what he thought he would do by breeding. He thought, I'll be smart, I'll breed these guys together, they'll produce more, etc., etc. And now the means by which he was going to get ahead have been taken from him. Have you ever felt like you just about had it and you got the stuff you need and then somehow you lose it? Now what? How am I going to make those dreams a reality? Well, don't, don't want you to worry. There is a way. Well, God's ways are incredible and amazing. So how did he do it? Number one, he knew what he wanted and we talked about the details required for a dream and a vision. Otherwise, it's just a good idea. We need dreams and visions with details. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. He knew exactly what he was believing God for. He knew exactly what the dream was. You need to write it down. The second thing about Jacob, you can write this down too. The second thing about Jacob was he knew how to pray. Now, he didn't for the first 20 years pray a lot, but we know that he prayed on this one particular occasion because in Genesis 30 verse 24, it says this. This left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came. Now, this is before the transformation, before the rapidly, before the dream becomes a reality. In between the desire, putting God first, and everything else happening, he has an encounter with God. And it says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man, really, 
Most people believe it's a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And it says this, a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man or the angel said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man replied. He replied, Jacob. He says, well, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. In other words, you're going from being a grabber to an overcomer. Something's happened in the wrestle. Something's happened in the engagement with God, the wrestling with God for his future, where he could have said, okay, I've wrestled enough. But he says, I will not let you go till you bless me. My question to you is, have you let go of God too early in those wrestles? You see, he had to wrestle all night through the uncomfortability of that wrestle. Then the angel taps his hip, puts him out of point and puts him in a disadvantage, trying to get him to let go. It's a test of Jacob. But Jacob's learnt that trying to get it the easy way doesn't work. This time I'm going through the middle. I'm going through the mountain, not to skirt around the mountain or go over it. I am gonna go through it. And so he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever been that strong with your, with your conversations and prayer with God? Have you ever said to God, I will not let you go until you bless me? I have. I remember the day. I remember where I was standing. It's 31 years of age. I was so sick I couldn't work. I just had a major operation. Gone back to work and then really just had a breakdown. So here I am running, Jane and I were running the largest youth ministry, youth and young adult ministry in the country of Australia. Just incredible things were happening and I have a burnout. I can't get up, I can't preach, I can't do anything. And I'm sick and for the first three months I felt sorry for myself. I don't know if you've ever felt sorry for yourself but I think it's a human condition. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? you know, what's wrong with them? And so I, try, so I ended up, I remember I was now uh, unemployed pretty much. I was off without pay, eight weeks. And I was in my lounge room, the front of my house at Dernacourt, South Australia. And I was reading that scripture about Jacob wrestling with the angel. I remember I was so sick. And I remember I felt like I was gonna lose everything. I felt like I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. And I remember walking up and down in that lounge room and I remember reading that passage of Scripture out and I said, God, I will not let you go till you bless me. You promised to bless me. Yes, it's my fault I'm in this mess. Yes, it's my fault for not trusting you. Yes, it's my fault for trying to prove people wrong. Yes, it's my fault for not understanding what's going on. But I will not let you go till you bless me. I, honestly, I can tell you, and it was, took everything to say it because I felt so broken and I felt so alone, and I felt so unable. But this is what I know, I have a God who's able even when I'm not able. But I've got to exercise the law of faith, and I said, God, I will not let you go. I literally said it out loud. I won't, and I went up and down, I won't let you go. You know, and I remember having this mechanical God, I can't say that I had this just amazing shift right then, it wasn't, it was still months away. But I went to church that Sunday, and we had a, a guest speaker, and this guy is very prophetic and one of the, the only prophet in Australia, I believe. Anyway, I trust him. So he gets up and he says, today God spoke to me and he 
He said, it's the day of changing of names. He said, I'm going to preach on the changing of names. Well, that's weird. So he said, Ashley, I want you to come up. He says, just as Jacob changed, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So today God is changing your name, right? He didn't give me a new name, by the way. He just gave me a girl's name, Ashley. I've still got Ashley as my name. But he said, from today, everything changes. But you always have a limp, so you always remember that it was him that did it for you and not you yourself. And when things happen, you will be able to say, God, I know how frail I am. Thank you, Jesus, for looking after me, for bringing that to pass. You are incredible. He said, today is the changing names. He had no idea that on the Wednesday before, I had prayed to God and I said, I will not let you go. And God gives me what he gave Jacob. I'm going to change your name. From, you know, for me, it was like from weakness to strength from inability to ability, from unemployed to employed, to, for, you know, from what, all the bad things, from, from losing everything. Literally, we built this youth and young adult ministry, 1,500 young people, and now I've lost it all. He said, I will not let go of you. And that was the defining moment in my entire life in terms of faith and understanding that the dreams of God are without repentance in our lives, the gifts of God, that God wants to help us get to His dream that He has for our life, that you didn't just turn up on the planet to do nothing. You turned up to be an instrument. Your birthday is really your earth day. What does that mean? It's the day God, like a rocket, decided to send you out into the earth because the earth would need you to make a difference for Him. And I understood, and, I, and then Jacob finally understood, I will not let you are the source. I will not let you go till you bless me. It's, it was uncanny. It was miraculous. I was hoping I would get healed that Sunday. I didn't. I said I had to keep walking. You know, like when Moses, and God speaks to Moses, who made your mouth, Moses? I want you to speak on my behalf. Now go back. You at least hope that God would teleport him back to Egypt. But no, he has to walk from the backside of the desert back to Egypt. Think about this. As he gets closer, he can hear the sounds that made him run. He can smell the smells that made him run. Everything's getting familiar and scarier every step he takes. That's how it works. Is what God doing, creating uh, resilience inside of you so you push through and break through. What was God doing to Jacob in this moment? He was getting him ready for the future. Man, I could just stay right here, but I'm going to move on. So he knew how to pray. Number three, G, uh, Jacob knew how to stop the dream because this is what happens with us. We have dreams and then they fade. In fact, I find most dreams I can't remember. The physical ones that I have, right? But when I remember a dream, I know it's for a specific purpose. I very rarely dream, but I have them every now and again. But when God gives me a vision, I'm not talking about, you know, some kind of multicolored vision in the sky. I'm talking about a vision in my heart, the desires of my heart. When he raises it up and activates that in my life, it sometimes fades. It gets distracted or piled on by work and busyness. And Jacob understood this process because he lost his dream many times. This time I'm not losing my dream. How many of us in the room this morning have got a dream and you don't want to lose sight of it ever? Come on, put up your hand, right? So this is all for you, right? This is what I felt God say to tell you about this because I've done this myself. This is not theory. This is reality. So Jacob knew how to stop the dream fading and dying in himself. 
If you're going to achieve your dreams, it's got to, it's, it can't die in you. Right? It's got to be alive in you. It seems really obvious, but it does die in most of us. A lot of people start the year with visions and dreams of what it could be, but by February, it's already faded and almost abandoned. And God's visions and dreams for us are impossible for us to do without an understanding of how the fourth dimension works. The fourth dimension is the realm above the third, the realm of the spirit. You, who's ever done VR? Anyone ever been on VR? Put up your hand if you're a, an early adopter of Meta. Come on, <laughs> VR people. Any VR people in the house? All right, if you've also done Zoom, on Zoom you're in a two-dimensional world talking to someone on Zoom. When you get into VR, and we, we have meetings all our campuses, pa campus passes across the world on VR. It's pretty cool, right? And literally, you're on VR, and within about two minutes, you've forgotten that you're on VR. You've forgotten, you're, you're immersed in this 3D world. The psychology of the 3D world is so fascinating to study because you, you're immediately emotionally engaged. You're not just engaging with a two-dimensional object. So the third dimensional is more powerful than two-dimensional. Well, guess what? The fourth dimension is much greater than the third dimension. This is the realm of faith, the realm of God, where God operates. And we need to understand how the fourth dimension works, which is the realm of dreams and visions, and how to bring them into the third dimension, right? And so we got, haven't got time to go into all that. That could be a whole week itself. Um, but he knew how to stop the dream fading. And so how do you do that? Well, one of my great aha moments was in the middle of this burnout and the breakdown that I had because I'd been trying so hard to make the dream work. I had an incredible team. We were, we were just kicking goals everywhere. In the process, I was working 100 hours a week, and I loved it. I was, I was just committed to it. I'm going for it. And then, crash. I had this infection inside my bowel for 18 months. I don't recognize it. Just keep going. And then, boom, it caused me to topple over. Uh, just a few months after the operation. And as I'm in there, I'm thinking, God, I can't work hard anymore like I did before. God, what I'm trying to do is impossible. This is impossible. And as clear as a bell, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, I'm glad you finally worked it out. It's impossible. And then he took me to Genesis 15 where God gives Abraham a vision of a multitude of children. He only wants one child and he's barren. He can't even have one. And God shows him you're gonna be the father of nations. Many nations will call you blessed. And through you, the whole world will be blessed. How is this possible? It's impossible. It's ridiculous, right? And when I read those words, I realized it was impossible what happened. And God just, I mean, I'm, I'm just slow, right? I'm just a bit slow. I apologize. I'm slow, but I get it eventually. And he said, Ashley, it's meant to be impossible. If it's not impossible, then it's you. I'm only in the dreams that are impossible. I'm not in the dreams that are possible. Is they human. I'm in the dreams that can't be done by you. Oh, that's what I've been doing wrong. I've been working so hard trying to get the impossible dream, thinking I could somehow get it. It's meant to be impossible, Ashley, and you can't do it by hard work. Only. You need faith changed my life. And I've lived my life since that day trying to keep that workaholism that I have in me that's a driver at bay while I take on the spiritual 
understanding of faith. I believe in working hard too, by the way. You need that half as well. You see, all Jacob could see, back to the story of Jacob, all Jacob could see now that Laban's taken the source of his multiplication out of his hands is white sheep. I want you to imagine it. He's got white sheep as far as the eye can see. There's nothing that he can manipulate or put together or wangle or accelerate or put some margins on. There's nothing he can do. It's all white sheep. It's impossible. It's impossible. And so every moment of every day, all he could see was impossible. It's impossible. I don't know what you're looking at in your life that seems impossible. It screams out at you, impossible. If you're watching online today, what's screaming out in your life that says it's impossible? This is exactly what Jacob faced, and yet we read, as a result, his wealth grew rapidly. He had much livestock. So what happened in between? Well, this is what we're talking about. You see, so many of our challenges are difficult to change because of what we see in front of us. What we see in front of us dictates how we feel about those things. That's why it you know, talks about the, the, the eyes being the window of the soul. You've heard that said, right? Anyone heard that? The eyes are the window of the soul. I'll give you the scripture reading that goes with that. But that's why John wrote, and he said this. He said, I wish above all things that you may prosper even and be in health even as your soul prospers. In other words, I can't prosper on the outside unless I've prospered on the inside. Why is that? Well, my eyes are connected to my soul. What I see with my eyes informs my soul what to believe. Can you get this? Jacob's looking, his eyes are informing his soul, it's impossible. Don't look, it's not gonna happen. Every time we look at that child, it's impossible. Every time we look at that wife, that's impossible. Every time we look at that husband, it's impossible. Every time we look at the business, it seems impossible. So our eyes are filling us with information, and that information goes into our soul. Jesus said it this way, if I can find it. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Notice that, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, in other words, what they're seeing is good, then your whole body, your whole soul will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy and they see negative stuff, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that goes into your heart is now darkness, how great is that darkness? Then he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. What God showed me was what I shared before about him being the king, and our job is to subdue the king of the world, which is money, and make it serve him, the king of kings, the giver of all truth and life and hope. And so uh, I'm gonna show you uh, how it works. So every day, you know, you know this, every day your eyes are taking photos, right? Taking photo of your wife. Yeah, not gonna work. Photos of your husband. Yeah, it's over. Photos of your children, gone. Photos of that boss, idiot. You wouldn't say that, of course, because you're in church, but outside of church is what you'd say. So look at my situation, hopeless. Look at how I am in the mirror, ugly. My eyes are like camera, like a camera that's taking pictures to store in my soul. And those pictures rest in my soul day and night. I promise you, 
God's speaking to someone in this room right now. I just feel it so strongly. This is the moment where God's going to convert the hopelessness into hope when you understand this. And so every time my eyes are looking at stuff, it's seeing what the natural tells me. Now, we're talking about a God that works in the supernatural, super but all we see is the natural. So what do you do? Don't pluck your eyes out or wear a blindfold. That's not what we're trying to say. So how do we do it? Well, back to the message. Genesis 30 verse 37 gives us the clue and I'll explain it. Jacob, however, that is when Laban took all of his resources, took fresh cut from poplar almond and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. What was he doing? What he was doing was he wanted spotted and speckled sheep, so he got branches that he could make spotted and speckled figures out of that would represent spotted and speckled sheep. You understand what I'm saying? He was making a lookalike of the vision. He was making a model of the hope. He was saying, this is what I want to do. So his answer was to make a touchable, feelable model to visualize and create faith. He knew God wanted to bless him. I know God wants me to bless me, but how do I take the steps in between the aspiration and the reality? And it is the first thing that we know to pray, we know what we want, but then we need to know how to convert the negatives that we see with the camera of our eye that begin to develop into negatives in our soul into positive and strong and faith-filled images of our future. We're looking so often at our present, we can't see our future. We're blinded to our future by our present and our past. Does that make sense? Who finds themselves being dragged back into things where you tried before? Well, I tried that before, it didn't work. Anyone thought like that? Or I've done, been there, I don't want to go back there. That's how it works. Your camera is processing all the time pictures that lodge in your soul. So how can you be as healthy as your soul when all the pictures you see are negative going into your soul? So you've got to replace the pictures, what you're seeing, into pictures that your soul can rejoice in, can be healthy because of. So how do I get pictures in my soul that cause my soul to prosper? Because then my life will prosper. Well, I've got to change what I see and how I see. And if I, all I can see is white sheep, what am I going to do? I'm going to take branches and turn them into spotted and speckled looking sheep. Maybe he got four pieces of stick and he made a body and he made a little sheep. I don't know. What was he doing? He was reminding himself, and I bet you he put it on the mantle somewhere. He put it in his, in his little hut or wherever he was. Next week we'll talk about what he did to the sheep. But here's what he did to himself. Is he got, he's got to make the vision not fade. How do I make the vision not shrink? Who's ever been in a meeting, been somewhere, and when you get an idea, you're like, "Woo!" there's an eruption inside. Anyone had an eruption inside about an idea? Come on. And then a few months later, it's like, like a balloon that you let out. I did with the kids yesterday. Let it out. And this limp thing on the ground with no dream in it anymore. Right? The leftover of the dream. So just imagine if you could understand how this works. How do we replace the images? I'm going to show you really, really quickly. Right? So he started to do that. Now I did this in my own life. I remember uh, becoming the pastor, the senior pastor of our church in Australia. So Joan and I were the senior pastors over these 12 campuses with a vision of 200, and we only had one at that particular time. And I, and I took over that, and when, I, when Jane and I took over that church, that church was in decline, okay? It was in a decline 
all kinds of stuff had happened that it really wasn't the pastor's fault. It just brought it into a place of decline. Businesses go up and down. Every families go up and down. Churches go up and down. It's part of life. So you've got to fight against it. And so every time I get up on a Sunday morning and I look out, the church is half full. So what's informing my soul as I pray and I'm trying to visualize God doing something in our church, all I could see were the pictures that my eyes had taken of all week. They had lodged in my soul. All I could see was a half-empty building. So I'm trying to pray with faith, but I can't even muster up faith because I can't even muster up hope because all I see is half full. Remember, the goal is I've got to replace the gallery of pictures in my soul with the pictures of the future, not the pictures of the present or the past. If you get this, I promise you'll change your life. And so what I did was I got, this is back in the early days of you know, graphic design and so on, I got one of my friends to get our half-filled building and multiply it and mirror it over and make it look full, right? And so what happened was, every day it was up on the wall, Pastor Jane will tell you, and I'd walk past that picture 10 times a day, right? I'd go to church once a week and I'd see it, but then I'd walk past my picture of a full building t- 10 times a day. That's 60 times a week versus once a week. What do you think starting to happen now? Click, 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 click. Suddenly the images in my heart are growing fuller, fuller, fuller. I'm getting more, replacing the negatives, replacing the negatives, replacing the negatives, and I'm filling it with new pictures, new pictures, new pictures, new pictures. Not failure, not half full, not on the decline, but on the incline. Increase, growth, all that kind of stuff. And as I begin to declare over those things, every day I'd declare it, I'd walk past and say, yes, I see that full in Jesus' name. And I'd just keep walking. It wasn't like I stopped there and, you know, built a shrine and bowed and whatever. But I would just say, God, I see that. I declare in Jesus' name that's going to be filled. Yeah. And every Sunday I'd get up in front of church. It's funny because they had no idea. And I'd say, I speak life over you. I speak life over this place. Yeah. People like, what's he talking about? But I tell you, the Spirit knew what I was talking about. The spiritual realm, the realm of dreams and visions you I was talking about, I was speaking into that place, growth. And I want to show you this campus, uh, if we can show that on the big screen here somewhere. This is our paradise campus, right? This is not the picture. This is how it is when all the services are together, right? This is our campus. It's me preaching. I think that's me. Looks a little bit overweight, but it probably is me, yeah. Are you joking? So this is what I had before. I got someone to superimpose the picture of half full over here, so I'd be fully full. This is a real picture, right? And I just be in every day, every day, pray over it, speak over it, prophesy over it, declare over it. Why? What am I doing? I'm replacing the pictures of my soul with the pictures of the future. The pictures of the present with the pictures of the future. How can I live in the dream if I'm still stuck in the present? I have to work in the present, but I believe for the future. I'm stuck with the present, but I'm hoping and declaring over my future. And as I begin to do that, things begin to change. You know, I'm now doing that with a vision that we have, which is to plant churches all over the world. And my son and I have developed a patented building that's been uh, that's patented pending. And uh, I want to show you a picture of that as well. Some of you have seen this picture. Now, I want you to show this. This sits on my, this sits on my, uh, my iPad as my screen saver, right? I go to my iPad every day. I use my iPad all the time. And what do I see? The first thing I see is the building. Okay, let me show you another picture of it, right? 
This is going to reveal next picture. There we go. This is the, the, the wider one. The next one. Okay, next one. Okay, next one. Do we have a next one? Okay. And so what I do is every day I'm speaking over this. This is the future for our Sugarloaf campus, our Gwinnett campus. This is the future. I'm declaring over it. What am I doing? I'm filling my, as I drive past there and I see 12 acres on Sugarloaf Parkway full of trees, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that at a certain price. I'm seeing that being built at a ridiculous price compared to a building like this, okay? To go from $400 a square foot to $200 a square foot or thereabouts is a miracle. It's impossible. But it's not impossible to God. And already we're in the architectural phase and I'm looking and I'm declaring over every day. And some days I feel doubtful. Some days I'm wondering, can it really be possible? And I have to look at those, I just look on my iPad, turn up my iPad to do something, and boom, there it is. Every day I'm speaking over that thing. So what I know is it's becoming faith in my heart and in my mind and it allows me to keep going after it even when someone says you can't do that. Even I had people this week laugh at my price. I'm like, I'm going to go after it. You can laugh all you like. I might be stupid. However, we'll see. And you know, just the kind of, we'll divert later. But my point is this. Jacob began to replace every single day he was looking at spotted and speckled pieces of wood that represented the spotted and speckled sheep. And what started happening was white sheep started producing spotted and speckled sheep so much and so often that his part of the herd had gone from white to spotted and speckled. And over a very short amount of time, as they all going to give birth, and I'll explain this next week, all began to give birth, guess what happened? His herd started to grow massive, right? Laban's herd stayed the same. All the mums and dads were producing spotted and speckled sheep, right? As Jacob began to turn the dream into reality using the laws of faith, I promise you, your soul must believe, your heart must believe, right? It says, I must believe and I must hope against all hope and I must have the assurance of the things that I'm hoping for. Well, the assurance of things hoped for are determined by the amount of pictures that saturate my soul that believes till my soul does believe. And when my soul does believe, I can speak over it like it's going to happen because it will happen. I promise you, I've seen it happen many, many times. Now, I don't do this in every situation, but I do them in the big ones for me. Now, if I did them in every one, I'd get better results. I just am not that disciplined to do it in everything. It's just the emergency ones that are so big I have to go after, right, with my whole being and my whole life. And I just want to say to you that I want to ask you this question. Have you ever made a model of what you're believing for? Have you ever put something together, some pictures, a gallery of photos that reminds you of the future, talk to you about what's coming instead of what's left? So often the pictures of what's left and what's here are so overwhelming that then I continue to live in what's here and what's left. The reason why people live in the past and can't help but perpetuate the things of the past is because they're stuck in their soul in the past. God wants to refresh you with visions and dreams that He asks you then to take from the fourth dimension and put into your heart so that you can believe what He said. You've got to help yourself get to the point where you say, I know that's going to be a reality. I want you to think about that child. 
That child might be off the tracks, maybe going in the wrong direction. What have you put? I'd be putting up a picture of them smiling and happy in the way they used to be as I remember them when they were sweet and innocent. I'd be putting up a picture of that. That's my girl. That's my son. That's my grandchild. That's my mother. That's my father. That's my family. That's my business. Whatever you need to do. It's not just about having a dream at the beginning of the year. Guess what, folks? It's about working that dream with the principles of faith and understanding how our eyes are determining what we believe. Remember what Jesus said to Lazarus, or not to Lazarus, to uh, Thomas. He says, you've believed because you saw, but greater those who believe without seeing. In other words, they can see it from here in their heart. Thomas wanted to see the nail prints in his hands before he believed. That's this. But what about if you can't see that? What about if you don't get a chance to see that? Then you've got to fill your heart with the images of faith. You see, uh, church, it's time to get going. I feel this urge for you. It's time to get going. Come on. It's time to turbocharge those things. God wants you to live. God put you on this earth, not just to fill in time but to change the world that you're in, to dream bigger than your grandparents and your father and your mother, to dream bigger than your friends and your neighbours as you are filled with God. He's on the inside. Jesus, if He's your Lord and Saviour, gives you the power to do all those things. And I want to pray for you right now. If you say to me, Ashley, I have a dream, it's, and, I want, I, and you're inspiring me, I, I, want to, I want to believe God, I want to, I want to start to work that dream so it gets into my heart, so it becomes faith. But I'd love to pray for you right now. So with every eye closed, so I know sometimes dreams are personal. I'm not asking you to spell out your dream. Your dream can be any one of a thousand things. But if you have one, I want to pray over you because I have faith in my heart to believe that as I speak and as I pray, those dreams are going to come to reality. Whether it's having a child, that's what Abraham's dream was. Whether it's to have a home, whether it's to see your children following Jesus, to see a loved one healed, what is that dream? God-centered dream. If you want prayer for that, for God to supercharge that dream, would you do me a favor right now, all across this place, just raise your hand, say, pray for me. Right, while your hands are raised, I'm gonna pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person with their hands raised. I declare the life of God into every dream. I breathe life and power through the Holy Spirit into every heart. Let today be the beginning, like the starter's gun going off, like the ignition of that purpose being driven harder and stronger and yet at great rest because you're in charge. We declare today miracles. We declare this year will be a year where people will tell us this happened and this changed and this happened because of that Sunday. I declare it in Jesus' name.